Section 7 of the Democracy of the Constitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Democracy of the Constitution and Other Addresses and Essays by Henry Cabot Lodge. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Section 7. Footnote from a speech as presiding officer at the Republican State Convention of Massachusetts, held in Boston, October 5, 1912. End of footnote. During the last few years, other questions have arisen far more important than any tariff or currency can possibly be, because they involve nothing less than the fundamental principles of American government an agitation has been in progress and is now being carried on by men of both parties whether the party division which it causes has been declared or not which aims at and if successful can lead to nothing less than a complete revolution in our system of government the scheme has now extended to the primaries which are merely a part of the machinery of government and do not in themselves involve any constitutional principle it has been seriously proposed in this state, and I think in this state alone, to abolish party enrollment from the party primary. The proposition is a contradiction in terms. The primaries were established for the purpose of purifying and improving the methods of nominating party candidates and for no other object. Those who belong to no party are not compelled to enter them, and have no right to do so unless they intend to become members of some party for which and for which alone party primaries exist. If you abolish the party enrollment and the party ticket and put all names on one ballot, you turn primaries into a preliminary election. But at the same time, you do much more than this, for you would then have an arrangement by which organized minorities, belonging to any party or to none, could go into the primaries and control the nominations of all parties. In other words, under this system, not only Democrats, but any voters, not Republicans, can decide the selection of the Republican candidates. And of course the same is true of Democratic candidates who could be nominated by Republican or even Prohibition votes. By this scheme we are to be deprived of the right of choosing our own candidates, and the whole thing becomes a travesty on popular government. It is idle to suppose that large bodies of men who agree on certain political principles will long submit to having candidates chosen for them whose selection they cannot themselves control. My right as a citizen, and the right of those who think with me to nominate our own candidates for office, is a great and inalienable right which is not to be taken from us by any jugglery of the statutes. If Republicans are not to have the opportunity to select their own candidates, and Democrats are not to have the opportunity to select theirs, then I say that it is the duty of every responsible political party holding well-settled principles and favoring well-defined policies to select its own candidates by its own voluntary methods and place their names upon the ballot on election day by nomination papers. 
if the party enrollment is abolished the primaries are worthless for the purpose for which they were established and it will be the duty of all responsible parties to stay outside of them and nominate their candidates themselves and then place them on the ballot under the means provided by law i have mentioned this point because although primaries affect only the mechanism of government this attempt so to arrange them that they will become a mere vehicle for an organized minority to control all nominations brings them at once into relation with the much more profound changes affecting fundamental principles which are now urged upon us the agitation of which i have spoken and which as i have said aims at nothing less than a complete revolution in our system of government begins by this distortion of the primaries and then seeks to break down representative government and make the courts subservient to the will of a majority of the voters at any given moment the first purpose is to be accomplished by the compulsory initiative and referendum the second by the recall of judges and the reversal by a popular vote of judicial decisions i am opposed to the compulsory initiative and referendum because i am in favor of government by the people and through majorities of voters and i am opposed to and always shall resist to the utmost of my power any attempt to substitute for them government by minorities of the voters if you will study carefully the compulsory initiative and referendum you will find that it is nothing but a scheme to enable minorities to rule a small minority of the voters can initiate legislation and compel the legislator to pass laws wherever the compulsory initiative and referendum have been adopted this power of compulsory initiation has been conferred upon a small percentage of the voters remember at the outset that the voters themselves are only a small minority of the people the total vote at the last presidential election was in round numbers fifteen millions and the population of the united states was ninety millions that is one-sixth of the people took part in the presidential election and one-twelfth determined the result the voters are not the people they are merely a necessary instrument selected for the expression of the popular will but they are not the people they are representatives and trustees now it is proposed to give a small fraction of the voters not of the people this great power to compel the submission of laws to a popular vote and when those laws are submitted to the popular vote experience shows that they are almost invariably carried by a minority of the voters those who are interested in the passage of the law of course take pains to vote a small number who are interested in the other direction vote against it and the great mass remain indifferent in the state of ohio last september forty-two constitutional amendments were submitted to the people it was practically a revision of their fundamental law involving questions of the greatest moment fifty per cent only of the vote of ohio for governor in nineteen o eight was cast for the amendment receiving the highest number of votes and less than forty-two per cent for the amendment receiving the lowest number of votes every amendment that was adopted was carried by a third to a quarter of the voters of the state who voted for governor in nineteen o eight footnote one the details of the voting which are very instructive are given by mr c b galbraith who is secretary of the convention 
in an article in the new york independent for december nineteenth nineteen twelve following is the vote on each of the amendments one reform in civil jury system yes three hundred forty five thousand six hundred eighty six no two hundred three thousand nine hundred fifty three two abolition of capital punishment yes two hundred fifty eight thousand seven hundred and six no three hundred and three thousand two hundred forty six three depositions by state and comment on failure of accused to testify in criminal cases yes two hundred ninety one thousand seven hundred seventeen no two hundred twenty seven thousand five hundred forty seven four suits against the state yes three hundred six thousand seven hundred sixty four no two hundred sixteen thousand six hundred thirty four five damages for wrongful death yes three hundred fifty five thousand six hundred five no one hundred ninety five thousand two hundred sixteen number six initiative and referendum yes three hundred twelve thousand five hundred ninety two no two hundred thirty one thousand three hundred and twelve seven investigations by each house of general assembly yes three hundred forty eight thousand seven hundred seventy nine no one hundred seventy five thousand three hundred thirty seven eight limiting veto power of governor yes two hundred eighty two thousand four hundred and twelve no two hundred fifty four thousand one hundred eighty six number nine mechanics and builders liens yes two hundred seventy eight thousand five hundred eighty two no two hundred forty two thousand three hundred eighty five number ten welfare of employees yes three hundred fifty three thousand five hundred eighty eight no one hundred eighty nine thousand seven hundred twenty eight number eleven workmen's compensation yes three hundred twenty one thousand five hundred fifty eight no two hundred eleven thousand seven hundred seventy two number twelve conservation of natural resources three hundred eighteen thousand one hundred ninety two no one hundred ninety one thousand eight hundred ninety three number thirteen eight hour day on public work yes three hundred thirty three thousand three hundred seven no two hundred thirty two thousand eight hundred ninety eight number fourteen removal of officials yes three hundred forty seven thousand three hundred thirty three no one hundred eighty five thousand nine hundred eighty six number fifteen regulating expert testimony in criminal trials yes three hundred thirty six thousand nine hundred eighty seven no one hundred eighty five thousand four hundred fifty eight number sixteen registering and warranting land titles yes three hundred forty six thousand three hundred seventy three no one hundred seventy one thousand eight hundred and seven number seventeen abolishing prison contract labor yes three hundred thirty three thousand thirty four no two hundred fifteen thousand two hundred and eight number eighteen limiting power of general assembly in extra sessions yes three hundred nineteen thousand one hundred 
No, 192,130. Number 19. Change in Judicial System. Yes, 264,922. No, 244,375. Number 20. Judge of Court of Common Pleas. For each county. Yes, 301,891. No, 223,287. 21. Abolition of Justices of the Peace in Certain Cities. Yes, 264,832. No, 252,936. 22. Contempt Proceedings and Injunctions. Yes, 240,896. No, 257,302. Number 23. Women's Suffrage. Yes, 249,420. No, 336,875. 24. Omitting word white. Yes, 242,735. No, 265,693. 25. Use of voting machines. Yes, 242,342. No, 288,652. Number 26. Primary elections. Yes, 349,801. No, 183,112. 27. Organization of Boards of Education. Yes, 298,460. No, 213,337. Number 28. Creating Office of the Superintendent of Public Instruction to Replace State Commissioner of Common Schools. Yes, 256,615. No, 251,946. Number 29. To extend state board limit to $50 million for intercounty wagon roads. Yes, 272,564. No, 274,582. Number 30. Regulating insurance. Yes, 321,388. No, 196,628. Number 31. Abolishing Board of Public Works. Yes, 296,635. No, 214,829. Number 32. Taxation of state and municipal bonds, inheritances, incomes, franchises, and production of minerals. Yes, 269,039. No, 249,864. Number 33. Regulation of corporations and sale of personal property. Yes, 300,466. No, 212,704. Number 34. Double liability of stockholders and inspection of private banks. Yes, 377,272. No, 156,688. Number 35. Regulating state printing. Yes, 319,612. No, 192,378. Number 36. Eligibility of women to certain offices. Yes, 
261,806, no, 284,370. Number 37. Civil Service, yes, 306,767, no, 204,580. Number 38. Out-of-door advertising, yes, 261,361, no, 262,440. Number 39. Methods of submitting amendments to the Constitution. Yes, 271,827. No, 246,687. Number 40. Municipal Home Rule. Yes, 301,861. No, 215,120. Number 41. Schedule of Amendments. Yes, 275,062. No, 213,979. For license to traffic in intoxicating liquors, 273,361. Against license to traffic in intoxicating liquors, 188,825. Some recent Ohio election statistics are given here for purpose of comparison. The vote for governor in 1908 was 1,125,054. In 1910, 932,262. The highest vote cast on any amendment was 586,295 on women's suffrage. The lowest, 462,186, was polled on the liquor license amendment. A vigorous campaign was waged for both of these. It will be noted, however, that the aggregate vote on the latter was much lower than that given for any other proposal. It stood alone at the head of the second column of the ballot, and many voters, evidently after following down the column to number 41, thought they had reached the end of the list and did not take notice the license proposal at the head of the next column. Of all questions considered, the initiative and referendum was most thoroughly discussed in and out of the convention. It will be noted that while the majority for this prime article of the progressive faith is large, it is exceeded by that given for each of the 23 other proposals. Measures accorded a high vote in the convention were not always so popular with the electors of the state. The amendment receiving the highest majority passed by the convention by only a single vote more than the lowest in the entire series, while numbers 24 and 36, which passed the convention almost unanimously, were both defeated. Attractive titles undoubtedly helped to increase the majorities in some instances. Amendment number one is brief. Following is the full text. The right of trial by jury shall be inviolate, except that, in civil cases, laws may be passed to authorize the rendering of a verdict by the concurrence of not less than three-fourths of the jury. This amendment was given the title Reform in Civil Jury System. Reform in these progressive times is particularly attractive. It is a case in which a rose by any other name would not smell quite so sweet. This initial word probably brought a few thousand votes to an amendment that would certainly have carried under a more appropriate title. In this class should be included number 10, Welfare of Employees. 
it provides that laws may be passed fixing and regulating the hours of labor establishing a minimum wage and providing for the health comfort and safety and general welfare of employees in this instance also the title helped a proposal that would doubtless have carried with a more explicit designation it will be seen that eight of the forty-two proposals failed to receive the required majority the first of these is the abolition of capital punishment the old doctrine of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was promulgated effectively in the convention and before the people it was also urged that under existing law in ohio the jury may recommend mercy and thus prevent electrocution the issue was clearly defined and the result fairly represents the present sentiment of the state on this subject there are evidences however that the verdict is not final and that the time is not far distant when it will be reversed to the surprise of most of the careful observers of number twenty two providing for the regulation of contempt proceedings and the prohibition of injunctions in controversies involving the employment of labor was lost the principle embodied in this amendment has been advocated for years by organized labor women's suffrage was defeated by a decisive majority but not so large proportionally as that registered against the reform in oregon in 1910 on the occasion of its third submission to the electors of that state through initiative petition liquor interests were most active in opposing this amendment unfortunately the opposition to women's suffrage adversely affected number thirty six which provided for the appointment of women to certain offices in the state and its political subdivisions where interests and care of women and children are involved on the face of the returns the electors of ohio have evidently resolved thoroughly to eliminate women from participating in public affairs perhaps the greatest surprise was the result of the vote on number twenty four omitting the word white the constitution of eighteen fifty one which was adopted before the emancipation of the colored race limited the elective franchise to every white male citizen of the united states of the age of twenty-one years the word white still remains in the constitution although it was made of no effect by the adoption of the fifteenth amendment to the constitution of the united states the amendment simply sought to make the constitution of ohio harmonize in form with the national constitution a similar amendment complicated it is true with other issues was submitted in this state in eighteen sixty seven and defeated race prejudice is evidently still strong in ohio a state that in eighteen sixty one through eighteen sixty five poured forth her blood freely to blot out an invidious distinction that is still retained in her constitution the authorization of the use of voting machines was defeated largely through the strenuous opposition to it in the city of cleveland and the apprehension in rural counties that the innovation would involve needless expense perhaps the word machines had for some a sinister suggestion that increased the unfavorable vote amendment number twenty nine best known among its friends as the good roads proposal was strongly combated in the convention and the opposition was carried to the people the heaviest vote against it was polled by the farmers of the counties that already have good roads 
many voters in the cities and in the country were opposed to raising the bond limit of the constitution for any purpose the last in the list of defeated amendments is number thirty eight outdoor advertising this simply sought to give the general assembly authority to regulate outdoor advertising especially billboards which often mar the beauty of cities with their unsightly displays the billboard companies fought the amendment and thoroughly circularized the state against it they succeeded in defeating it by a very narrow margin the amendments that carried without exception received their large majorities in the large cities of the state the country vote was light and conservative in a number of rural counties every amendment was voted down End of footnote constitutional amendments must be submitted to the people and always have been in the states but it is monstrous that anything less than a majority of all the voters should be able to adopt a constitutional amendment we had two constitutional amendments of no great importance submitted in this state at the last election less than two-thirds not of the voters but of those who came to the polls voted on them and although there was no substantial opposition to either yet they were put into our constitution by a vote which was less than half of the votes cast for the candidates i could go on and give you case after case of a similar character and they prove beyond a possibility of doubt that the compulsory initiative and referendum is nothing in the world but a device to permit interested and organized minorities to govern the legislature necessarily represents all the people whether voted for by all the people or not and is chosen on that understanding but the minorities of voters to which we are asked to give this power to compel the submission and the adoption of laws in the exercise of that power represent nobody but themselves the system of compulsory initiative and referendum means the conversion of legislatures into mere machines of record and the destruction of representative government representative government is the one great advance in the methods of government which has been made in modern times its growth its development its adoption in one country after another have been coincident with the advance of political freedom so much so that it has become almost synonymous with it the first care of every autocrat every dictator of every man who has seized on power for himself alone has been to break down the representative body or reduce it to a form and a ceremony it is now proposed to abandon this great advance which has been made in modern times and returned to earlier and rejected forms it is done under the utterly false cry of let the people rule it is not a scheme to let the people rule that is found in the constitution of the united states it is a scheme to enable organized minorities of voters to rule and through the devices of the law get possession of the state the other great bulwark of freedom has been the independent court until the last few years a man would almost have hesitated to have given utterance to such a truism and now it is proposed to take from the courts their independence 
it makes no difference to whom the court is subservient when it becomes subservient to anybody outside the courtroom whether that influence comes from the king from money or from a body of voters that court is a servile court it no longer interprets the laws but declares that to be the law which someone else wants justice from ancient times has always been figured as a beautiful woman with bandaged eyes holding with steady hand the scale in which all rights and wrongs are weighed those who now assail the courts would drag her from her high throne in the courtroom and put her on the streets to solicit support from the passions of men to which she will then become at once the victim and the toy the independent judiciary of the united states and of england too taken as a whole and allowing for all the failures and defects incident to fallible human nature has been the most potent defence and protection of the liberty of the individual man and of the rights of minorities against the oppression of majorities i cannot here to-day argue this great question in detail that would take hours instead of minutes I merely point out to you that it is now assailed and that I do not believe that representative government and judicial independence, which have been the greatest achievements of our race in its battle for political freedom, have suddenly become dangerous to popular government. Mark well that all this agitation is directed against the representative and judicial branches of the government. I find in no program any attempt to limit the executive and it is logical and inevitable that this should be the case. Constitutional government moves too slowly to suit some people who wish to convert it to an instrument for the quick satisfaction of their own desires and aspirations, which may be either beneficial or hurtful to the people at large. For this reason, they would substitute for it a government which consists simply of the voters and executive. Go back fifty years, and you find an example of a government of that sort in the third Napoleon, with his empire based on the plebiscite. Abraham Lincoln declared at Gettysburg that the government he was trying to preserve was a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, and that government was the government of the United States under the Constitution. On October 22, 1862, Governor Andrew, writing to Daniel Henshaw in regard to the Conference of Loyal Governors, recently held at Altoona, said, In conclusion, I can but regret the tendency I observe to obtrude matters mainly personal upon the attention of the people. It is the great cause of democratic, constitutional, representative government which is now on trial. It is the same constitution now as it was then, except for the war amendments, and if Abraham Lincoln and John A. Andrew thought that it was a government of the people which they were giving their lives to save, I do not believe that any of us need be disturbed if we find ourselves in agreement with them. Lincoln also said in his first inaugural, A majority held in restraint by constitutional checks and limitations, and always changing easily with deliberate changes of popular opinions and sentiments, is the only true sovereign of a free people. You observe that he says a majority under constitutional checks and limitations. He draws the distinction between government by the people and government by a majority of the voters. 
I have already pointed out the great gulf fixed between those two things, and the proposition which now confronts us will, if carried out, break down government by the people, which is secured by the limitations of the Constitution, and give us, bound over and helpless, to the action of a majority of the voters appearing at any given moment, voters who are a minority of the people and whose majority may be fleeting, temporary or accidental. It was against this precise situation that the special checks and limitations which Lincoln approved were devised by the convention over which Washington presided. Let me bring home to you just what I mean by asking your attention to the first ten amendments of the Constitution. Those amendments constitute a Bill of Rights. They have become so much a part of the life of each one of us that we think no more of them than of the air we breathe. Lest we forget, let me recall them to you. These amendments protect every man in his religion. There may be only two or three gathered together, but Congress can make no law to touch them. They are secure in their right to worship God in their own way. Within a few days, a banner has been borne through the streets of Massachusetts City, bearing the demand, No God, no Master. How do you think that proposition compares with the religious freedom guaranteed to one and all by the Constitution of the United States? To each one of you, the Bill of Rights assures freedom of speech. Into the Third and Fourth Amendments, our ancestors put the principle of Coke's great declaration, that the house of every man is to him his castle and fortress. By securing each one of us against the quartering of soldiers and against unreasonable seizures and search warrants. In Article 5, it is provided that no man shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime except by a presentment by a grand jury nor be subject to be put twice in jeopardy of life or limb for the same offence, nor compelled to be a witness against himself, nor deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, and no man's private property shall be taken for public use without just compensation. Article 6 secures to the accused in all criminal prosecutions a speedy and public trial by jury, and he must be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation. He shall have the right to be confronted with the witnesses against him and to have compulsory processes for obtaining witnesses in his favor and the assistance of counsel in his defense. By Article 7, the right of trial by jury is secured to everyone where the value in the controversy shall exceed $20. Article 8 provides that excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Think of what those provisions mean. They defend and protect each one of us in that which is dearest to us. They are the guardians of human rights, for every item there set down is one of the rights of men and none other. Could there be a greater misfortune than to have these famous clauses weakened, broken, mutilated, or destroyed? Whose rights do they protect? The rights of majorities? On the contrary, they are the protection of the individual man and of small minorities of men against the power of majorities. Who are to interpret those provisions and say whether the laws passed by a majority of voters infringe or not upon these great guarantees of liberty? 
the courts the courts alone can secure us in the rights which the constitution gives us get rid of the representative government get rid of the courts and you find yourself at the mercy of any momentary majority of the voters a minority of the people usually a minority fraction of all the voters entitled to vote your life your liberty your property are left at the discretion of a majority of the voters which may be accidental fleeting temporary without any chance for that second thought or that appeal to another tribunal which were secured to each one of us by the founders of the republic the constitution is not a law it is a declaration of principles the effort now is to turn it into a statute to be altered by the whim or the passion of the moment the constitution guards the rights of each of us no matter how humble or how poor i say to you beware how you allow any man or any men to lay their hands upon that great instrument it has been the admiration of the world we have prospered and thriven and been an example to mankind under its beneficent provisions which created a self-limited democracy something which until that day men had thought impossible of accomplishment do not let it be torn down for if you do all the great advance and freedom which it represents will perish and we shall return to those primitive forms of government which in ancient times and in modern times as well have oscillated between anarchy and despotism which at best only brief intermissions of true and ordered liberty end of section seven